Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And one of the great things I get to do on the podcast is talk to people that I've had a lot of respect for over many, many years. And uh, today's guest, I'm talking uh, with my friend, uh, Jess DeSabatino. Uh, Jess and her husband, Dave, uh, they co-lead Journey Church in Calgary. Our connection goes back to the early 2000s, as best as I can remember, when they were pastoring Lakeshore Church in Toronto. Uh, We began dreaming together with Brayside Camp to launch Camp Interchange. That was a week of summer camp for inner city children and youth. And eventually, uh, Dave and Jess would move on to, to Calgary to lead Journey Church. And uh, Jess also worked for a season on the lead team of Mission Canada. Uh, She's also uh, being a podcaster and frequently speaks at conferences. So to my, I won't say old, I'll say to my uh, enduring friend, Jess. Enduring, I like it. Welcome. I'm really, uh, really glad to to be on here and catch up with you today, Jess. Uh, And um, yeah, I'm glad to be here, Kevin. Yeah. This podcast is about God at work in Canadian cities, and you've certainly experienced that in more than one city. Um, And uh, you've had a lifetime of discipling others. Um, So before we talk shop, um, let's let's talk personal. Tell me about uh, your family. What's what's Dave and your kids all up to? Well, uh, Dave uh, is starting a psychotherapy business right now for mostly for marriage and family. That's real focus, and that's been exciting. We have two kids in university who are currently draining my bank account and the life yeah. from my eyes. No, not really. They're, they're <laughs> wonderful, but they are in university. Um, we have one daughter who will finish. She's almost at the finish line. More year left. And then a son who's in his second year at, at Mount Royal University and um, two little kids. One is going to turn 13 next week and one is going to turn 11 next week. So we have all the children and all the ages at all the times. It's great. That is great. Um, you know, I, I may have once known this and uh, long since forgotten, but how did, how did you and Dave first meet? Uh, what's the story there? Oh, we are camp meters, Kevin. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it because it's ubiquitous in our movement. We met at camp. Um, Dave and I counseled camp together. David just come back to, from the Lord, come back to the Lord. And he still had a few choices in his vocabulary. And I was so incensed that I was, that I was, that I was counseling with this, this young liberal man. <laughs> Anyways, we became really good friends, and through a series of events, um, married. So that's yeah. where we met. And almost 25, uh, 20, uh, 26 years ago. So, yeah. Uh huh. Um, and then, uh, so after uh, you and Dave met, started dating, got married, uh, you ended up uh, going on the mission field. Yeah, we did. We first pastor, we were, I was pastoring. In fact, I was pastoring before we got married. And so then Dave came and worked at our church. And then our church sent us um, as missionaries to 
Asia. And that's actually proved to be a really amazing um, It was, it, at the time, it seemed a bit like um, a train wreck. Uh, we, we went for a very short period of time and um, yeah, through a variety of circumstances came back. But uh, our church currently, that we're currently pastoring in, has many, many people from Hong Kong in it. And that's been a really cool thing to see how God redeems that. And when we can't see it, I could never have seen that 25 years later, we'd be pastoring a church with uh, many Hong Kong uh, immigrants from Hong Kong. And that's been a really, a really cool, you know, landing point for people. Yeah. Um, what, so I'm, always, those... I'm always really reminded that God uses everything. Nothing is wasted with him. He will take all of our, even our mistakes and somehow weave them into the tapestry of our lives. And that's a really cool, cool thing that we can, be thankful for yeah full circle right you know yeah, the, the totally. early experiences that uh after a while seem like well that was so different from everything else but god yeah. brings it back yeah yep and i i think the thing if we like tie a thread through all the things that god has done uh in our lives it's been that he's put us in cities and you know i just think it's grown my love for god's what was ultimately God's idea for the city in every context and so you know now we live in Calgary but I think this was true when we lived in Toronto true when we lived in Hong Kong and you know I'm just thankful for every city that I get to be a part of and lean into such a cool bench yeah and, and you guys uh like you're you're not uh a hop hopping from one thing to the next you tend to tend to settle in uh, uh with with some of your yeah, yeah we've been here in calgary yeah yeah we've been here in calgary for almost a decade and we were in toronto for a decade and you mm -hmm. know yeah that's generally been the yeah and you know every city i come to i laugh with and say that every city i'm ever in i always think i hope i can be buried here and that's how i feel you know I, about the current season we're in i'm so thrilled to be in this city and yeah yeah, but uh, Dave makes fun of me and says that every city we ever moved to, I love more than the last. So this is kind of true. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, back back when you guys uh, pastored in Toronto at, at Lakeshore Church, uh, I I did get to uh, uh, visit you guys down there and and just getting to know you guys back in the early two thousands was refreshing to me to. Uh, to know another uh, couple in ministry that were were doing the urban shtick, you know that urban ministry thing, and uh, so um, you guys were were making uh, a difference in the neighborhood. And uh, when you think back to to your Lakeshore years, how did God use the, those years to shape your lives? Um, yeah, in a couple of ways, Kevin, I think like I had done my undergraduate work in inner city teaching. So I, I really always, my whole life had a real heart for the city and for the problems that are, I mean, those problems are everywhere, but they're in great, greater concentration in any city. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think from a theological perspective, I think I was convinced 20 years ago that God's heart was for the poor and that his heart was always for the poor. And that as Christians, I couldn't just say as a Christian, I couldn't just say, well, the poor are not my thing or that's not how I am wired. Um, 
but I think when we trace throughout scripture and when we trace the, like the theological concept of said and Sadeka, I, I don't think we can get away from our lean into the poor. So uh, when we pastored in the inner city, that was like right out in front of me. Of course, they were, we lived in a high concentration of poverty, a place where only 50% of kids were graduating from high school, major drug abuse issues, gang issues, gang violence. It was very, very um, in my face. So, I mean, you, you had to do something about it. But I think if you fast forward the picture of my life now, I pastor in one of the most affluent um, neighborhoods in Calgary. And I began to ask the Lord, so what, what is it that you are speaking to me? Like, I, I can't just go, well, there's nobody poor here, so there's nothing I can do. We actually began to put our heads together and I um, began to say to like, to Dave and to, to our pastoral staff, I, I think this is the mandate of the Lord for all Christians. So how do we actually serve the poor while we also serve people who are affluent and wealthy? It's the most educated pocket of, of um, Canada. So uh, we realized that we were on the, the C train. So it, Calgary has this little C train that runs throughout the city and we're the last stop. We own the parking lot and the, the C train station. So I just began to say, well, what would it look like for us to be able to uh, service people that are struggling uh, with the opioid epidemic that has hit our city as much as it's hit every city in Canada and really in North America. And so I called the Calgary Homeless Foundation. I said, listen, we have a big old building that's really kind of sitting empty during the day. We have a foyer that we could use. Hey, could you ever use it? And they thought I was bonkers because first of all, no church had ever called them. And second of all, we're in the Northwest of Calgary. So I just said, well, I just, I'll just call you every couple months and maybe, maybe we can just build a friendship and I can help you that way. I could pray for you. I know, I know how it is to work in this kind of work. It's hard. And so I just called them every couple months and it was like a weird conversation. Every time it was Kevin, every time it was weirder than the last, I'd be like, hi, just calling to see what's going on. Is there a way I can help you? And they didn't really know what to say, but anyways, I, I, but I did pray for them and I did sort of build these kind of weird friendships with them and, um about six months later they called me and said hey we're thinking of starting a pilot project in the west would you guys be willing to start it for us so um 18 months ago we opened the first church warming center in calgary and um we've served we now serve thousands of people experiencing homelessness every single month that's been a really cool um like a way that i thought was almost impossible to like if you would have told me six years ago that I'd be pastoring in an affluent neighborhood and we would have the poor intermingling with the rich I don't know that I would have believed you but here we are and it's been a real it's been transformative for our church it's been transformative for families who can come and serve people and realize that we're all just people we're all putting on our pants the same way um the ability for people to um, serve those that are poor and marginalized and hear their stories and um, has transformed both our church and has, you know, brought some good goodness to, I think, people that are, have not been seen, um, particularly in my city. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think there are things in the inner city that like reminded, that taught me that God is amongst those who are broken and so 
the way that we're like, I'm convinced more and more and more that the way that we're going to engage Canadian society is by going and doing exactly what God asked us to do. And that is to be amongst the poor, to get our hands dirty, to be with people in the ditches. And we've got to find creative ways to do that because I think in doing that, I've had all these really cool opportunities to share the gospel with people. I never would have. A man came to our, he was probably in his eighties. Never, he's never stepped in the door of my church before. I didn't know him. He lives in the community. He came in and he said, well, I just heard that you, this church is doing something. And at first I was mad about it, but now I realize this is something good. And he gave me a card and I was able to pray with them. And the, inside the card, Kevin was like 50, $50 bills. This man had just been like, and I, I don't think I'd ever know that man otherwise. I think, I think he would just be lost to our church and we would just think that's somebody who doesn't want the gospel or, but I don't actually think that's true. I think we have to find creative ways to engage um, with Canadians who, who maybe have never, maybe will never come to church, but they'll come and serve in my warming center. Yeah. They'll bring a jacket or socks and we get a chance to build a relationship with them. So yeah, it's yeah, been really that, cool. That vision of uh, the rich and the poor uh, being alongside each other and, and that that equalizing vision, I think, is is so so true of uh, what the kingdom of God is like. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and true religion, right? Yes, caring, caring yeah. for uh, the most vulnerable in their need. Yeah. Now, now we were prior to uh, recording. Uh, you and I were talking about the weather, uh, which is uh, what people do. And uh, yes, we are I Canadians, think- Kevin. Who are we if we don't talk about the weather? <laughs> That's right. So, so I held up my phone weather app, and uh, if if anybody's watching on uh, YouTube, you can see that uh, it's twenty degrees Celsius in Windsor, Ontario. It's, it's gone down by a degree, Kevin. I think that's because you yeah. were bragging. That's because you were bragging, and God said no. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, Calgary is, uh, I mean, the the prairies. That's that's a cold yeah. place to be, and. And, and, and I think, you know, um, when we think about homelessness in Canada, uh, we have to be mindful of the fact that we are dealing with very harsh climate that can literally kill people in minutes. Um, so, uh, opening a warming center, uh, talk to me a bit about what, what's a, what's a warming center. What do you do there? Um, so what we do is we just, we open our doors at 9am. We, we don't go overnight and that's partly because we didn't have the personnel to do that or the space in our church for that matter. So we just have a big giant lobby that's, um, used on Sundays for our church and we use it for other things as well. But every day at nine o'clock, we open it up and we have oatmeal and soup and, um, people from the church, um, We'll bake stuff almost every day of the week. Somebody's baked something or made some soup. And so there's always food. We have mats for people. If you are homeless, and particularly if you're a woman in, in our city, at least, being in a shelter is a dangerous place to be. And so what often people will do is just walk all night. They just keep walking and walking and walking. So when they come to us in the morning, they're exhausted. So we have mats that people can sleep on. We have a few people that come in and do art therapy on Mondays. We've partnered with the EMTs in our neighborhood and they come and bring prescription drugs and 
they bandage people up with the foot clinic that comes on Tuesdays and um, with the dope team that comes on another day to help people who are dealing with drugs. And we just sit with them basically at tables and play cards and get to know people. So of the thousands of people that come, we, we try to really build a relationship with them. We're not really there for any agenda. Um, sometimes well, people want prayer, yeah. but, but that has only come through relationship. We help people. We, we actually made it a big deal. I just knew from working in Toronto that what we needed to do is not duplicate what the city was already doing really well. We needed to bless what the city was doing well and just say, how can we help fill some gaps? So we partner with an agency called The Source and they, are, um, they help people connect to housing and they send us workers every day who sit and, and meet with um, people experiencing homelessness and help get them housed. And what's really awesome, Kevin, is this year our warming center has housed more people than any other warming center or any other clinic in Calgary. And I, mm. I actually think that has a lot to do with like the fact that people are sitting and praying and building relationship with people. It's been a really cool thing. And then people are getting healthy. They're getting houses, they're coming to church, they're joining small groups. And I mean, they're joining small groups with like doctors and business people. And yeah, it's been a really, really cool thing. It's, it's not been without mess. So two weeks ago, somebody died in our parking lot just before church on Sunday morning of an overdose and our music pastor was out in the out in the parking lot, a young guy holding this guy in his last breaths. Mm. Um, a couple months ago, we had one of our, our very first client who we loved and knew she had an overdose and died in our parking lot. And so that's been difficult, um, for sure difficult. And it's, it's yeah. made us have a lot of, um, you know, we've had to change our security protocol we've got hundreds of kids running around the church on a Sunday morning so we've had to hire security and oh, there's all kinds of I mean I just say to people like I mean I think God wants us all to interact with the poor if God hasn't called you to open up a warming center don't do it because it will be so much work and it, it, it is a bit of a there's a thousand problems to all well it's amazing how the joy and the lament uh, intermingle uh, yeah. in yeah. in this kind of kingdom of God work, you know, that, uh, yeah, you, yeah. you your, your worship guy is holding a dying man in his arms. And then did he have to go in and lead worship right after that? Yeah. Then to yeah. Then to hundreds of people, he had to get up and sing the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this yeah. is a hard thing, but this yeah. is actually what it means to live out the gospel in a, in a world that is not just dust but it is also not just lament and hardship so yeah that's i mean that's some of the looks like in real time in a different way than we have talk to me a bit about um you know the christian community in in calgary uh I know there's uh, a good good number of uh, churches uh, spread out across uh, the region there, and uh, is is there um, uh, a great deal of working together and unity, or is there a lot of just people working independently, and not really aware of what the others are doing? 
Um, I actually think uh, probably, and it might just be my own age now, Kevin, I, I think there's more working together than there ever has been. So like um, our youth groups all meet together every, it's called the 403 network. So we live in Calgary, our call number is 403. So the 403 network is pretty much every evangelical kind of church. Um, all the pastors meet together and they create events for the youth and that's been really cool that actually has supersede that's superseding youth now that's coming into you know adult ministry young adult ministry um like my own kids know like they know the thousands of kids will come to these events and it's cool because they get to know people in the city who are going to school with them oh i didn't know that person was a christian oh that's really cool that's been an amazing it's been a beautiful thing to see and i think you know, I think we always say that youth will lead us, that children will lead us, that's scriptural, but I think we're actually seeing that here in a really real way. I'm really thankful for some of the churches that are able to run ministries that I can't run, but I don't have the capacity or I don't have the, you know, so like First Assembly, one of our sister churches in the South um, runs Tequila, and that's an awesome place for young adults to go and find mates. <laughs> <laughs> and also worship and find Jesus. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I was just on a Zoom call. Um, <clears throat> just was it yesterday or a day before? Uh, no, it was anyways, within the last few days, um, I met uh, Jessica. And okay. uh, you, you. Oh, had, Jessica uh, Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah, Jessica Sanchez. Yeah. yeah. She's an amazing woman. She is. Yeah. 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 Really interesting. Yeah. You know what? There is lots of cross pollination in the city and the city is a big, Calgary's a big city. Like geographically it's bigger than New York city. So it's, it is, um, you can, you could go your whole life and just stay in your quadrant actually. Um, but I, I think people here are open to helping each other. I think when a church plan happens, we all get around that and cheer for that. Well, we do live in a place that is conservative in politics. It's not really conservative uh, morally. It's it's got all the big city things. Yeah. So I, I just I think like since the pandemic though, I think we've seen a real like I think most of the churches here are doing very well. People are coming to Jesus. We're going from one service to two service uh, to three services. Like people are seeing, we're seeing a real, I think collectively as pastors in the city, we're seeing many people come to Jesus and yeah, that's been a really, it's been really cool. Oh, that, that's, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, in, uh, years gone by, uh, I know that Calgary, um, it's kind of, you know, being another oil town and in the old days, uh, it would either be uh, boom or bust, Yeah. you know, the economy, you know, going up and everybody being, being uh doing well because of work and then and then things shutting down and and uh i imagine calgary is a much more diversified city than it once was yeah i mean i think we still have a little bit of that in 2008 i think there was a real downturn and then again in 2016 uh, when we first moved here it was hurting but i think they're trying to really uh, it's a very educated population so because of that uh, there is the ability to sort of pivot mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting, 
it's different than any other city I've lived in, for sure. In terms yeah. of you, or you're an engineer, <laughs> or right. you're a medical doctor. Right, right. Um, well, hey, you know, um, back in uh, the early 2000s, uh, our our friends, the Giancolas, who were new at Brayside, yeah. no, or actually, was it Ray Edwards back then? Ray and Shirley, that's right. Ray and Shirley Edwards were directors of uh, Brayside Camp, and uh, they started talking to you and Dave and me and anybody that would listen about, hey, we'd love to be able to do a camp for inner city kids, and and uh, so this this whole discussion started uh, that led to us developing Camp Interchange. Uh, I believe that it ran for seven years consecutively uh, with uh, different people getting involved at different stages. And, and I think at the peak, there might have been about 150 campers um, and every student was able to come. Uh, the framework was that they had to be connected to an inner city church and uh, that uh, their being able to come to camp was with full sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So the camp and, and uh, us and other boosters just all worked together and uh, saw this, this week of camp that was specifically geared towards the needs of kids growing up in the city. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so um, you and Dave were uh, a big part of that. And um you know, when you when you think back to those days, what are some of your memories about uh, Camp Interchange? Oh, so many, Kevin. Do you remember when I um, we had somebody steal something and I had to go out to be, it was like in the height of CSI. And I went out and gave a real rousing, I will find out who did it. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you were scary. I will, I will, I will. <laughs> I will get, I will find the GPS. Are here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I just did, I did one of those kids' weddings like just maybe six weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. it's really cool to see where a lot of those kids have gone. Uh, that was such a, like, and I think all of them would tell you that that's some, that was a life changing um, week for them. Partly because it exposed them to something different. You know, I think I remember all of them saying that they wanted to be like Doris Rome and Doris Rome people that don't know owned a cottage for a hundred years her son is a pastor in, in my city actually now and I was just telling them James there were so many little kids that would say to me when I grow up I want to be just like Mrs. Rome I want to own a cottage at Brayside and you know I think it gave them hope to believe that there was something outside of the square I mean, in, our, in our case the kids that we brought really a lot of them never left the little square block that they grew up in and generationally their families had grown up there so yeah, those were those are such good years. Seeing those kids like just find Jesus and find the freedom that Jesus brings, and you realize that Jesus is not um, contained in a service or 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 preaching or a study. He's he's outside with them as they were like looking at fireworks and so scared, thinking that they were gunshots. He's you know he's in the meals that we fed them, and those were just awesome years of recognizing and I think even when you look at some of the research that has been done in terms of how what is the long the importance of the long tail of discipleship I think you can see that like camp 
experiences for all kids are a real mark, like are really, really important for uh, young people's discipleship. So to be able to offer that to kids that could never, never provide that is amazing. And also, it, I think it, it, I often think about this when I look back at that research that was done. I think really, if we don't have things like Camp Interchange, what we're saying is that only middle class kids really have a fighting chance of serving Jesus for all of their days. Mm. So there's got there's got to be some. We have to be about bringing equity, the equity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. at least to things like discipleship For anyways sure. i thought about that often mm. i think it's marked kind of even how we do things even in my own church uh, currently i think about like our missions budget and how that affects you know what we're going to support and how we're going to support things yeah 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 i uh I, I've got a lot of great memories of uh, just just the energy and the the uh, the, the, the chaotic beauty mm-hmm. of everything that would happen at camp, you know. Yep, <laughs> and and kids who like Brayside Camp is like it's farmer fields, and yep. uh, you know, and then all these uh, tiny homes uh yeah. that uh are ratty old cottages but uh or some of them are but the kids man it was such a such a great experience and uh i remember some of the kids were afraid of cows like they thought yeah. they were dangerous wild animals or something yeah yeah exactly <laughs> remember when we took them to like water parks kevin oh, i don't yeah I mean, nobody could really swim so yeah. basically we were like lifeguards for the day and they were all pretending they could swim. None of them could swim. <laughs> My blood pressure goes up thinking about that. Um, you know, I remember something that you said back in those years that, uh, that really resonated and stuck with me. Um, it sent, and I don't have the exact words, but essentially you said that we shouldn't focus on the labels associated with poverty, single parent families, the negative circumstances surrounding these kids' lives. And I think you're right. It it may help for raising funds, you know, yeah. to say, yeah, we've got these inner city kids and they're poor and single parent family and drugs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the identity that those kids need to to wear. We yeah. talking about identity in Christ and you know and 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 you know we we are today in a um, an age of identity politics that has just uh, you know just uh, I think um, reached uh, new levels you know wow. uh, whether it's politics whether it's uh, in in um, you know uh, sexual identity uh, uh, other ways. And, um, you know, we all, there was always some form of identity politics. Like when we were kids, you know, it was sort of the identity of groups in high school, you Nerds know, rocks or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, just, um, as, as you're reflecting on, uh, Canadian culture and, and, uh, you know, where, where people are hurting, what, what do you see? going on around yeah, I, uh, the whole issues of identity yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head kevin i think as long as we um as long as anything 
comes before our identity in Christ, we're going to have idolatry issues. And I think most of the issues that Christians are uptight about are actually symptoms of a, a great, I, do, I don't think the issue is sexuality. The issue is not drug abuse. The issue is not the uh, issue is what is going to be the thing that, that we identify with. And if it's not Jesus, then it's idolatry and the idolatry actually becomes the problem. Um, the biggest problem, like this, it's everything else becomes symptomatic. So, I mean, if I have an identity that's, I don't know, I'm a, I'm, yeah, I have aberrations in my life. It's because Jesus hasn't been made first. And so this is, I mean, I think this is the great task of every Christian's life to be saying, Jesus, would you be the number one thing in my life today? And I, I think at some level we're, we're having to do that minute by minute. All of us are minute by minute, hour by hour. I mean, we've got a few pet projects, I think in the church that we really, we really want to like harp on these particular identities but I just wonder if we've got other identities too that are not Jesus like they're like I'm the good I'm the morally good person and that becomes my identity and that's just as much of a problem as any other of the aberrations are because mm -hmm. it's idolatry at the end of the day I, I just think like we just have to keep speaking to that and living it I mean the best way that we're going to show people is by showing them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I just think like my my biggest job I keep saying to my staff my biggest job our biggest job is to just uh, model lives that have Jesus as as our identity model lives where Jesus is the first thing that we turn to right oh, but and that is hard it is really easy to preach so hard to it's hard to live because there's all these voices at us telling us that other things should be our identity yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I do think about those kids, those kids that we worked with, Kevin and I, like now they're adults. Now some of them are near 30, which is wild. Well, they are more than 30, many of them. Mm -hmm. And the ones that have kept Jesus at the forefront of their lives, not their baggage, not their history, not their, um, have done extremely well. You just like you're so proud of them you just think wow that's amazing but you realize it's not them it's because jesus has actually like guided them and yeah yeah you you and i uh, and dave and and our some of our uh um uh generation that that were in the church were um influenced in positive ways around uh social justice uh in in uh, years gone by, it was less common in Pentecostal churches to talk about social justice. That was seen as something that was liberal. That was something that, uh, you know, those those mainline churches were doing instead of preaching the gospel, you know. And, and uh, so we kind of grew up in that, in, in some of those tension points. Uh, but I think about some of the, the people that I've known over the years, and perhaps you too, that um, uh, out of that initial um, sense of uh, we, we need to practice true religion, caring for the widows and orphans, uh, we need to respond to Jesus' word that uh, the poor will always be with us, yeah. you know, and, 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 and so there was a, a shaping of our, um, uh, I would say, orthopraxy 
a shaping of our theology to understand how uh, you know the care of the poor is is central to to the ministry of Jesus and to our calling. Uh, but but I also have watched where people that embarked down that road uh, eventually came to a place where they grew embittered towards yeah. Christendom, uh, where uh, they had no good thing to say about the church, where uh, their theology deconstructed and, and today they would um, not want to identify um, as a Christian, or if they do, it would be some other kind of Christian than, than what has historically been the case. I, I got a question for you, Jess. How, um, how have, have people like you been able to keep the joy of the Lord and, and a love for the church and, and still uh, walk that hard road of being engaged in social justice. Yeah, because yeah, I think this is still an issue we're dealing with right now, Kevin. I think particularly around all the deconstruction, I think people have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this because we are doing, we're putting social justice? So like, I, I think I'm, I still feel like I'm having conversations with people like that every week about it's not the full gospel if we're not if we're doing social justice things and i think no so i think i think the only way i i mean the only way i know i don't know if it's enough but is that i just endeavored to keep myself anchored to god's word like i think i haven't been able to deconstruct because every day i'm making it a priority to say jesus like i want to be fed by your word your word tells me that I must be amongst the poor, but your word also tells me that Jesus' sacrifice is the only way that I can get to heaven. And I can't, I can't get away from that. Um, I just think when I was young in ministry, no one ever checked in on me if I was like really connected to like reading God's word. I was, but I, I just always think I could have gone like probably 15 years and not cracked over my Bible. Kevin, I got to thinking like, you know, a lot of our friends, people that you and I would have considered friends, massive like train wrecks of things happened to them, like moral failures, deconstruction. And I just like, I've kept relationship with most of those people, even though I wouldn't agree with like, like their theology now, but I, I love them still. So yeah, just made a point of like asking people, like, how did that happen to you? Like what happened? And I started realizing about five years into asking people this question, like, and I knew that it was like a weird and jarring question, but if I'm good at anything, it's weird and jarring questions. So I would just ask them, like, are you, um, like, can I ask you seriously, were you like really in God's word? And Kevin, I've never had one person tell me, yes, never, never. I've asked, I've now, and like, this is sad. I've now asked hundreds of people this question. And I began to think like maybe 10 years ago, oh, Jesus, like I better be having a diet of reading, of allowing you to be my identity. And the only way that I can get to that is God's word. Yeah. You be my identity more than any project that I have on the go, more than any church politics, things that are swirling around me. 
more than any problem that I'm facing, more than any historical thing that the church dumb thing the church has been part of. Like, so I don't, I don't know. And I, so like, I, I'm like, my staff will tell you that there's only two things I care about. One of those is that they read their Bible. <laughs> the second is that they introduce me when I go places. Uh, currently, because I'm really passionate, I just think, you know, the only thing that's going to keep us anchored to Jesus is Jesus himself. And the only way that I like can know Jesus is through his word. Now, I, I do believe that Jesus speaks to me. He, he does. He's a God who speaks to us. But I think if I unanchor myself from the word, then I can get into like weird pizza dreams. Where like God told me, no, God never told me to do that. I just ate weird stuff last night. So I don't, I like, I also think I just made a really, like I have very, um, my soapbox would probably be that we all need friends. Friends who will tell us the truth. Friends that will tell us we're being idiots when we're being idiots. And friends that will remind us that, and we need lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. like friends that will really really like get in our face about important things so i don't know i'm still walking the road kevin so i'm, I'm trying yeah. my best i don't I, I got a lot more years to stay on the train tracks so yeah 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 but uh there's something to be said about the being in it for a long time and not growing embittered not getting huh. jaded yeah. and uh, staying staying fresh in in the word fresh in the spirit and, yeah. and full of love um you know for for anybody uh, that is listening or watching to the podcast and doesn't know much about the pentecostal assemblies of canada um we are a fellowship that uh, holds to an egalitarian view of the role of women in the church and um you know that uh i mean when i was when I was a kid, uh, I would say it was uh, a lot less uh, shaped than it is now. Uh, but sometimes people who are coming from more of the the complementarian view that you know uh, women are to aren't aren't supposed to be pastors, are not supposed to be teaching men, all that kind of kind of thing. Uh, you know, there's there's always there's those arguments that uh, still um you know surface from time to time but i want want to know from your perspective as a woman talk about the freedom and the challenges that you encountered in your early years of ministry was it always assumed that dave was the quote real pastor and uh, that you were the pastor's wife uh, oh, yeah. and is that still a thing for uh, are you still finding people where that's their thing um, um yeah, Kevin, I would say at the beginning, people didn't really, I mean, I didn't think I was going to be pastor. This was not something I ever, no one ever said to me, you're really good at speeches. Maybe you could be good at preaching. Yeah. Uh, I never, I never, never dawned on me until somebody said, hey, could you come and share something? I was probably, I don't know, 18 or 19. Anyways, I kind of fell into mastering weirdly. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, and, and Dave and I just sort of went along with that. We, we would do this weird thing where he would preach like 60% of the time, and I would preach 40% of the time. But then we realized that was, after a while, Dave was like, this is bonkers. It takes me triple the amount of time it takes you, and we're not having a life because I'm like having to. So we just early on in our ministry, and we were in the inner city, and people didn't really 
I don't know that they cared what we were doing there as long as we weren't killing too many people. So, um, like, I just did all the preaching, generally speaking. Um, and I would say that that was fine while we were in the inner city. Nobody cared. Um, once people started to, um, once, once we, you know, began to look at other things, that became more of an issue. And it actually became an issue with the rise of neo-Calvinism. So it wasn't older people. In fact, people who were boomers were very, that was fine with, I, I never encountered any pushback from boomers who I did encounter pushback from was people in their 20s with nose rings and tattoos. Inevitably, it would be somebody with like an eyebrow ring and like, like tattoos all over their body and they'll come after me and say, you are out of line. So that's neat. Um, but, but I think the rise of neo-Calvinism really didn't, was more difficult for women. Yeah. Now, um, now in my church, like I am the lead pastor of our church. Dave is um, a staff pastor. So he actually reports to somebody else, not even to me. And um, that's been a, a, a decent, I, I don't notice it in my own church um, because I mean, if you come here, you do have to listen to my terrible, terrible jokes every week. And that's just the way um, I'm really aware of the research that says 40% of evangelicals would never, or maybe it's 60%. I think it's 40. Let's go with 40. It sounds better. Uh, will never come to my church because they don't agree with my um, me being the lead pastor or they're not comfortable with it. They're not even sure. I think usually when you push people on it, they're not even sure why they believe that issue. I mean, I think we're getting better. I used to tell young women, just let your gifts lead you. I know that that's not true now, but actually I have to make some, I have to have some pushback. I think even in our own denomination, um, there's very few women who pastor we're getting better letting women pastor churches. We are not getting better letting women pastor large churches. Mm. So sometimes yeah. we, and particularly where we're not good at releasing is women who are mothers. Mm -hmm. So I often will get the question asked to me, how do you pastor when you have four kids? And I think, well, how, I also have a husband. How would yeah. he work with four kids? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we get we get it done so uh there's kind of funny things there's still there's still barriers for sure i think i'm so thrilled that there's all kinds of girls that are saying yes to the call of jesus my greatest concern is that they get stuck like they can't they they can do a few things but they're stuck in those few roles and i think you know i just praying that uh maybe i can lend a little bit of a voice and yeah help i i we have a long goes still I, uh, our friend our mutual friend patty miller and i used to always try to be very cheerful about this topic everywhere we went because we didn't want to be branded as people who were like we are women i think now i don't really have too much to prove so i i'm less cheerful about it now i'm more pragmatic about it i realize there are issues some of those issues are on how women are socialized and how they lead how they actually learn to lead um so i don't i don't know that it's all organizational a problem but there are problems with it and I think we've got to make some strides forward and I mean I Kevin I look back and think some of the ways that I was spoken to as a young woman I I didn't realize that it was inappropriate but I look back on it now and think I just was like okay I Wait mean it's okay yeah and it's like so now I look back and go 
that was so highly inappropriate that I can't even begin to describe. But, you know, as a young woman, preacher particularly, I never wanted to make any kind of waves. Even though probably my personality is, is designed to make waves. Like, I think that's probably how I am mostly built. It's my, I'm at my best when I'm saying things that are a little bit uncomfortable. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that means too much, except for that I have a real commitment to help young women um, be everything that God's called them to be. And like my prayer is that there would be no, uh, there'd be no place of leadership that a woman couldn't, couldn't step into because she's mm. a woman. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, speaking of Patty Miller, uh, and Patty's uh, been one of the guests uh, with others on the podcast before, and yeah. it might might be uh, might be worthwhile to get you and Patty and a handful of others together yeah. and uh, just do a deep dive on uh, uh, women in urban ministry. You know, that would uh, I think you yeah. guys have. Yeah, that would be really cool. You've got so much uh, wisdom and experience to share. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I got just one more question question for you, and and that is, uh, you know, just in, I mean, uh, the the job of ministry aside, um, what's uh, where where's the growth edge in your life? What's what's Jesus talking to you about personally these days? I mean, you don't have to tell anything too secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Well, just you know what what my deepest darkest secrets, Kevin. I'm gonna well, you know what, Kevin? I just uh, I just did a series on lamentations. It's the first time I've ever preached on lamentations in my life, and I've gone through mm -hmm. every chapter. And I think this has wrecked me. Oh. I've been wrecked by the book of Lamentations. I mean, I think I, I read it. I've read it many times, yeah. but I never really thought about what does it really mean to sit with people in the ashes? What does it mean to like, what does it mean to have a God that doesn't, um, that doesn't shut down our complaints, but he sits with us. And what does that mean for me as a pastor who often wants to fix things? What does it mean to sit with people in their lament and just listen to it? And, um, yeah, I've, I've been really undone by that. I think I think most of our society is so lonely and just needs people to listen to them. And we have this path that I think God has given us to say, like, listen, I'm the God who listens to you. So, like, follow me and do that. You know, I think even just the structure of Lamentations has, like, wrecked me. The fact that it's, like, one and two, everything sucks. Two is the worst in the world. Three, it gets a lot better and more cheerful. We have fridge magnets, but Lamentations three. But four and five just go back to it being like a dirge. And this is sometimes we want only Lamentations one, two, and three. That's how we want to preach. That's how we want to talk to people. That's how we want people's stories to go. But in fact, people's stories and my story in particular is probably going to go one, two, three. Oh, look, a bright spot. Oh, four and five. And I'm not saying that I'm looking forward to like dismal years, but I am saying our theology of suffering is so weak that we can't even actually even look at God's word and say, yeah, yeah, this is how it is. And God sits with us in that. And there's hope in that because he does come and rescue us. Our, our time of sorrow will end, but you know, we just have to sit in it a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a growth edge, 
keep saying to my church, I'm really sorry that I really got into this book this year. <laughs> You're having to sit with me through this, but I think that's like the Lord is just part of that slows us down too. I think, I think probably in my early twenties or thirties, I was going to like change the world. And I don't know. And now I just realize, ah, probably into my fifties and sixties, I just want to sit with people and listen, be a better listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so, some, there's something to be said about our uh, a long faithfulness, right? Yeah, you know, being able to um, uh, endure those seasons of sorrow, yeah. those seasons of suffering, and uh, and persevering, waiting, waiting for the joy to one day come, without knowing when it's coming. Yeah, and to be able to sit with people in that, not force yeah. them. To- because God doesn't force us. He lets us rehash, rehash, rehash. And he just, just listens. And that's a beautiful thing about our God. And I think there, I think we would have beauty restored. I think part of the deconstruction that we've seen so much of has to do with the fact that young adults were no longer pleased with a pragmatic God. They, they wanted a beautiful God. And I think part of the beauty that we've lost is in this God that waits for us, that listens to it. Like, I think there's beauty that we've lost. It's not just step one, two, three, four, even though pragmatically, I would like it to be that way. Yeah. Those are wise words. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. Thank you, Jess, uh, for being on today. Yeah, it was really great to catch up. All right. Well, um, uh, I don't know when I'll next be in Calgary. I've only ever been there once in my life, but I hope to get there again one day. I'll so. see you in Niagara Falls, though, Kevin. Oh, that's I'll see right. You in Niagara Falls. All my right. favorite place on earth. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> we will. We will see you there, and uh, along there. with uh, along with a bunch of other sojourners that uh, we've known over the years. So, yeah. thanks, heaven. Jess. Okay, Bye. Hello, I'm Bill Riley. I work with Kevin Rogers on the production of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. There's so many great stories and thoughtful people engaged in good work in Canadian cities. Some of our past guests will be participating in an event that I want to tell you about. Our City Windsor is an urban conference taking place on March the 22nd and 23rd at New Song Church in Windsor, Ontario. The theme is Signs of Hope. It is an answer to the question, what hope do we have for this rampant homelessness, addiction, food insecurity, and general malaise of city life in Canada? You will get to meet and engage with a group of community-building compassion entrepreneurs that deeply care and are making a difference in their city. The conference is only $49 in tax if you register online. Otherwise, you'll pay 65 at the door. Go to www.ourcitywindsor.ca to get all the relevant details and be encouraged as you find like-minded people that believe the love of God can change the world.